there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Have you ever heard of zero-point energy? It's a popular scientific sport these days. The idea is that there's unlimited energy in a vacuum that we could tap for very little or for free. Because it's easier to tear down than to build up the bona fide, and I'm putting this in quotes, the bona fide scientific community's opinions run from skepticism to ridicule and accusations of pseudoscience for people who are doing research into trying to get energy from a vacuum. The real scientists, that is, the ones who call themselves real scientists, the ones who are accepted by each other because they are all doing the same accepted thing, they'll give you the point that, yes, there is energy in a vacuum, but we don't know how much, and we don't know how to get it out of the vacuum. So, therefore, it may as well not even be there, because what point is it? But these other people saying, well, if it is there, and we think a lot of it's there, and we think there are ways to get it out, so we're going to research how to get it out. But the real scientists and the real physicists, they say, well, that's just a waste of time. They don't like that. And so they tend to be very skeptical, or to ridicule, or to make accusations of pseudoscience. Everybody has certain phrases, you know, certain words, certain names that they can be called that plug them in. Every culture has it, so black people. Now, if you call black people colored people, that'll even plug them in. And it used to be, when I was growing up, they were colored people. But then I remember during the 60s when black power came, then they were all of a sudden black people. As we try and raise our consciousness as a society, we really try to get away from that. We really are trying to get away from that. But old habits die hard. And there are generations of people, literally generations of people alive today, who are never going to submit to the new consciousness. So they'll die. And then the younger people growing up will grow up in this new politically correct consciousness, and they'll acquire those politically correct ideas and the politically correct speech, and then that will be their problem. We all think that this is going to solve a problem. It doesn't solve anything. It will all be done mechanically, and it won't make anybody more conscious. People will not be more conscious. You can't become conscious mechanically. So it's not going to work, but it's the way it works here. It's how we do things. And slowly over time, a little bit of progress might be made, but maybe not. The way it looks now is we haven't made much progress over the past couple thousand years. When I say progress, I mean progress in consciousness. I certainly don't mean progress in electricity and computers and airplanes and machinery and science and things like that, medicine. I'm talking about progress in consciousness. So because it's easier to tear down than to build up, the bona fide scientific community's opinions are their opinions, which of course is proof that what we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. If you think back to some of the greatest scientists who are revered today, Copernicus, Galileo, you think back, they made huge mistakes. They made huge errors. Newton, Newtonian physics is pretty much, I'm not going to say it's useless, but the physics of Einstein just changed all that started opening up a whole different world where Newtonian physics was proved 
that it wasn't necessarily right. And Copernicus and Galileo, they saw part of the picture, but they didn't see the whole picture. Now that we can see more, we have better equipment. Now we see things that they couldn't see. They may have come to the same conclusions that these people have come to now. It's not, it's not diminishing to them. See, it's not diminishing them and their intellect or their intuition or anything or their drive because they couldn't see what we can see today. It doesn't diminish them in any way. But they were ridiculed. They were ridiculed by the accepted scientific community, which back then was more often than not the religious community because they held sway over science back then. And so it was Galileo who had to recant his works or else he would be excommunicated from the church. Well, today we look at that and we well, that's absurd. Except that now you have these bona fide scientists ridiculing and excommunicating these other scientists who they don't agree with, who are researching the areas that they're not researching, that they think there's no, we have already got all that handled. There's no use to do that. We already know that the whole universe revolves around the earth. So there's no sense in trying to figure out something else. There's no point in trying to figure out what we already know. But these scientists today who are on the cutting edge, these physicists today who are on the cutting edge, are doing something else. Well, you have to ask yourself, why do they bother trashing the idea? The bottom line is money. Real physicists fear that funds could be leached from legitimate research. What do you think legitimate research is? Their research, yes. And so there's only so much money to go around. And if these guys get the money to research this, then I won't get the money to research what I'm researching, which means I'd have to get a job. And I'm really not educated for a job. I'm educated to get funds for research and to do research until I die. And hopefully to discover something and get my name in lights and name something after myself and then live eternally through that. So... That's it. Of course, all this is very interesting to us because this is exactly how we work. Now, a workman takes no part in this insane ride on the perpetual motion pendulum because he begins to understand energy in a different way. Is there energy in a vacuum? Yes. Can we get it out? I don't know. While living, we reach points of energy crisis when the energy of specific centers is exhausted. We can't think, we can't enjoy or work anymore. I'll give you some examples of this a little later, but right now, think of your own. What I'm about to say is not to be taken literally. This is a work idea that I've seen taken literally, like food for the moon, taken literally. And I think, okay, these people are missing the point, which is the same thing they did in Christianity with the parables. They missed the point, and they started to take these things literally. And the next thing you know, this whole ignorant thing grows up around a literal interpretation of something that was never meant literally. The work says that each center uses its own energy and has two small accumulators connected with it. Don't imagine that there are two little metal accumulators attached somewhere inside of your centers. People are trying to find where the centers are located. Where are the accumulators? So these two accumulators with each one of these centers. So there's, if there's seven centers, then there's 14 accumulators. They get all this stuff worked out. This is what I mean by intellectual arrogance. Actually, it's intellectual what BS, yeah. It's pedantic. It's just a waste of time. In other words, don't do that. Now, if these two accumulators, these two small accumulators are exhausted, the center has no further energy. This is the basic work teaching. Now, also, I should add, there's a large accumulator, one large accumulator that feeds all of these 14 smaller accumulators. 
Why am I naming them in numbers? Well, because I did a quick thing and said, well, there's seven centers and there's two. So that's, well, this is the extent of my mathematical ability is two times seven is 14 and one large accumulator feeding them all. Math is not my strong area. So the energy comes from the first small accumulator. So we draw energy from this first small accumulator according to the work. Now, this won't make sense if you take this literally. But if you'll start to just ease up and soften your ability to take in impressions and not be so rigid about how things need to be, it will do better for you. So the way it works is the first small accumulator is where we draw energy. And then when it starts to run low, then we start drawing energy from the second accumulator, while the first one is refilled from the large accumulator. But if we draw the energy too quickly from the second accumulator, then the first accumulator doesn't have a chance to fill up all the way from the large accumulator. So let's say it only fills up halfway. And then the energy gets too low in the second accumulator, so we, we switch over and we start drawing from the first. But we only draw half as much, so the other one can only fill up to a quarter. The second one can only fill up to a quarter while we're drawing on the first. And as you can see, sooner or later you run out. Now, when the first one is near empty, we feel tired. But we soon feel new energy as it's drawn from the second accumulator, while the first is being filled from the large accumulator. But when the second is exhausted, the first is used. Okay. Athletes are familiar with the term hitting the wall. Anyone who has done any kind of physical activity will be familiar with this. You just hit a wall where you can't go any further. You're out of energy. I remember the first time it ever happened to me it was bicycling. And I was riding along, and all of a sudden, that was it. There was nothing left. I mean, literally nothing left. I could not pedal. That had never happened to me before. Just could not pedal. I couldn't even push the pedal down one more time. And it was very strange. I had an energy bar in my backpack. I took that out and I ate it. And within minutes, I could ride again. So there are two, two ways to explain that. And, and, and as we go on, it'll all become clear. Through effort, they can connect with the other accumulator, athletes. They hit the wall, then through effort, they can connect with another accumulator, and then they have a burst of energy and they can go on. That's generally, in my understanding, what happens. This connection can be made through external shock, a short rest, or an effort. If we draw too quickly, the other hasn't time to fill. The center can connect directly with the large accumulator. So any center can connect directly with the large accumulator which contains a huge supply of energy, giving the person who connects with it legendary power. So this is where miracles come from. This is where great acts, great feats come from, where some woman is in an accident and her child is stuck in the car and she lifts the car. This happens. So how does it happen? This is the explanation, the works explanation for how this happens. That woman, through the external shock, taps directly into the large accumulator and has the energy to lift the car. We know that human beings are capable of more than we generally do, but we're never called on to do it. But when we are called on to do it, it's amazing what people can do. Finally, when the large accumulator is drained of all energy, the organism dies. Tapping into the large accumulator is great, but if you suck out all the energy, then you're dead. Now let's look at this in more detail. The intellectual, the emotional, the moving, and the sex centers all work in this way. Being connected to the external world of events through the five senses draws psychological energy. So we're all connected right now to the external world through the five senses. Now if you know anything about electricity, take the battery in your car. You turn your car off and you leave the lights on and you leave the radio on and you play with the electric windows. 
all of that draws energy from the battery. If you leave the lights on long enough, it will draw so much energy out of the battery that the battery will not have enough energy to start the car. Everyone familiar with this principle? Okay, this is the same kind of thing with these accumulators and this energy that we have. What's seen, what's heard, what's touched, what's smelled, what is tasted takes psychic energy. It draws energy. It uses energy out of these accumulators. So it runs your battery down. Now, in cars, we have alternators, alternator generator. The idea is that when you start the car, it turns the wheel and it generates electricity, which then recharges the battery. Okay? We have something very much like that. It's called food. The food that we eat, the food of impressions, that food re-establishes, it creates the energy that goes into those accumulators. When we're seeing and hearing and touching and smelling and tasting, the energy is soon exhausted. Wait a second, how is that true? All right, well, let me give you a couple examples. If you continually smell coffee, you can't smell it anymore. If you continually you go pick a rose and you continually smell the rose, eventually you won't be able to smell it anymore. What the work says is you've run out of energy for that. You've exhausted all of the energy that you have for that because it takes psychic energy to smell the rose. It takes psychic energy to smell the coffee. It takes psychic energy to taste the honey. It takes psychic energy to taste whatever it is you're tasting. This is why, if you think about it, uh, remember when we went up to Napa Valley on that bicycle tour and we stopped at all the wineries and had, with the wine tasting thing and we watched these guys with their wine tasting and they would put the wine in the glass and look at it and hold it up to the light and swirl it and smell it and taste it and then spit it out and then they would drink carbonated water or something, swish around in their mouth and then spit that out. So what they were doing is they were refreshing their palate. So they were cleansing their palate so that they didn't continually take all of that energy the psychic energy it took to taste and smell wine, and they were looking at it too. So they would continually cleanse their palate, they would, and they could only go so far, and then that was it. Then they really would start to lose their taste, their sense of taste. It wouldn't be as accurate. So like I said, the energy is soon exhausted. Thinking, enjoying, walking, all use and exhaust psychic energy. When energy is exhausted, our response power is diminished. What that means is we can't react in the same way. For example, let's say you're studying, you're reading something, you're studying a book, you're studying a textbook. You can only do that so long. And then you find yourself reading over a paragraph again and again because you are no longer able to take it in. And the reason is because you've run out of this psychic energy. And each center uses its own fuel, its own kind of energy. You can run out of fuel, run out of energy, and then you're in an energy crisis you can no longer take in. What does all this matter? Well, it matters to us in the work because we're here in life and we want to work. In order to work, you've got to have energy. But when you exhaust the energy, you don't have that energy anymore. So how can you work? Maurice Nicole said, Imagine a complete depletion of all centers. Then you can go to theaters, parties, etc. Feel nothing interesting. Without energy, the intellectual center can't read, study, take in. The emotional center can't feel. And the moving center can't move. When I rode the bicycle to the point where I couldn't move anymore, the moving center was done. It had exhausted all of its energy. I got some more energy through a little rest and a little food, a little sugar, you know, the, the energy bar. Got a little energy and then connected into something else so that I could go on. But it happens in everything. 
all of these areas. If it's coming through the five senses, it's using psychic energy and it can be exhausted. So it is actually exhausting psychic energy. All this is due to the states of centers, parts of centers, and psychic energy supplying them. Energy is made from air, food, and impressions. So we get energy from air by breathing, we get energy from food by eating, and we get energy from impressions by taking them in. No amount of mechanical energy will ever make vital energy. Vital energy, what is vital energy? Vital energy is the energy that animates your body. Vital energy is the energy that animates, that's life. It's the energy, that, the, the energy that animates living things. So if you see a cat, you know, you look at, for instance, a kitten, the way a kitten plays compared to the way an old cat plays. And you can see an old cat get frisky, but they don't get frisky for long. And then they kick back. And you'll find the kittens are frisky for a long time. They've got a lot of energy. But the older cats, their energy is being used in something else. And it gets to a certain point where they stop taking in impressions, they stop doing things, their energy starts to wane. No amount of vital energy will make psychic energy, and no amount of psychic energy will make conscious energy. Now, mechanical energy, what is mechanical energy? Heat is mechanical energy. So let's look at just that example. Mechanical energy, heat, won't make vital energy. Vital energy is life. Even though it may help it, it's not life energy. If you're cold, heat may help you to stay alive, but it won't create life energy for you. You still need food, you still need air, you still need impressions to get energy. If you don't have those things and all of your vital energy is lost, you're gone. It's a fact of life. Now, the animal kingdom has proved that no amount of vital energy makes psychic energy. Psychic energy, what is psychic energy? We have mechanical energy, which is like heat. We have vital energy, which is life. We have psychic energy, which is like the intellect, intellectual energy. There's no amount of vital energy that makes psychic energy. No matter how vital an animal may be, it's still an animal. Let's say you have a, a kitten and it's full of life. Well, no matter how much life it has, it still can't think like you. Let's say we have a kitten and it's 50 feet tall. So it's got thousands of times more energy than the little kitten. But it still is not going to be able to think because that vital energy can't be made into psychic energy. Okay, this is the point that the work makes. Furthermore, intellectual energy, psychic energy, won't make a man more conscious. This is the one step in the work that I think people in the work miss more often than not. They think that by thinking, they're going to get conscious. And that's not how one gets conscious. You don't get conscious by intellectualizing. It just doesn't happen that way. If it did happen that way, all the scientists would be conscious. All the mathematicians would be conscious. All the physicists would be conscious. But they're the ones who made the bomb they dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Where was the consciousness in that? You know, they all knew what they were doing was wrong. They all knew that they were letting the cat out of the bag and they were never going to get it back into the bag. But they still did it. So they weren't conscious. It was still a violent act, no matter what you want to call it. To evolve, a man must become more conscious. The problem is that conscious energy is on a completely different plane than psychic energies working in the centers. We're talking about something vastly different than what we're used to, than the usual food, air, and impressions that we take in. So is there a food that will make you more conscious? Well, maybe. Is there air that will make you more conscious? Maybe. Are there impressions that will make you more conscious? Absolutely. I can say maybe to the first two, but I can say absolutely to the third. There are impressions that will make you more conscious. Gurdjieff said, Consciousness does not evolve by itself. A man can, if he wishes and knows how, increase consciousness. But by thinking, he cannot do so. You'll think back 
to when we started this, when you started this, you did a lot of thinking about it. But it didn't necessarily make you more conscious. What it did make you was live more in your imagination. So it had the power to make you live more in your imagination. Thinking had the power to make you live more in your imagination. Now, practically, if you're tired in one center, use another center. So if you're studying, 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 studying the fourth way of the work or whatever, and you finally get tired and you're not taking in anymore, well, fine, then use another center. Well, what center? Well, go mow the lawn. Go wash the dishes. Go paint the window. Whatever. Whatever it is you have to do. Go do that. What about the moving center? It's got energy. Well, the intellectual center is not. So you're all out of juice when it comes to thinking. So you can go right into the moving center. And amazingly, some of that energy from the moving center while you're mowing the lawn will start to go to the thinking center. And you'll be able to think more. This is how it works. Consider for a moment how negative thoughts, envies, hatreds, resentments, and all that business take force from you. Consider for a moment. In fact, you should probably consider that for the rest of your life. Consider for the rest of your life how your habitual negative emotions draw energy. It's like leaving the high beams on in your car and the radio on full blast and leaving it in the garage overnight. When you come down in the morning, the car is not going to start. We wonder why we can't work. And the reason we can't work is because we're leaving the lights on and the radio on. And I can't think of five things in a car that you can leave on, but there are five things in a human being that you can leave on. They bleed psychic energy because they're part of your psychology. When you smell a rose, you don't smell the rose. That's happening in your mind. When you smell coffee, you don't smell coffee. That's happening in your mind. All of these things are happening psychologically inside of you. The rose still smells even when you don't have the energy to smell it. The coffee still smells even when you don't have the energy to smell it. A funny example is that you put on a perfume or something, or aftershave or something, and when you first put it on, you can really smell it. And then as the day goes on, you can't smell it. But other people who haven't been around you can smell it. Why? Well, because we say, well, I've just gotten used to it. What we mean by that is we've run out of energy to smell that. That's what it means. We've run out of energy to see that. We've run out of energy to think that. We've run out of energy to feel that. Can you see how debilitating this can be to your work? When you start running out of energy to see, you can't see anymore. You look at people and you, you don't really see them. You've been, look, you've been so dog-tired, you remember just walking right by people and not even being able to talk, not even being able to acknowledge them, not even recognize them, because your energy is so low in that area. Our inner life depends on the psychic forces in us. They're wasted through the things that we spend more time than anything else in. What are those things? We spend more time in self-pity than almost anything else. I would say that's probably one of the number one things that we do. That's the headlights being left on, high beams they're being left on. We spend an enormous amount of time wasting energy with self-pity, envy, hatreds, disliking, disliking people, disliking things. And all these things that the work teaches us to avoid and not to identify with that we find so difficult to avoid and not to identify with. Because we've got these energy channels already built in so that they're being drained constantly. We've been leaving the lights on for so long when we get out of the car, we think that's the only way to do it. This useless psychic drain isn't lost in a closed system universe, but it's used for another purpose, and that purpose is not to our advantage. See, this universe is a closed system. There's nothing more coming in, and there's nothing going out of it. It's all one big system. And so all of the energy is being used. All energy is used. The question is, will it be used to your advantage or not? And the answer with all this self-pity and envy and hatred and disliking is no. It's not used to our advantage. Maurice Nicole said, 
You waste the very soul and substance of yourself that can lead you to your real self in such useless and widespread activities. If you look at the world, you'll see everybody's doing it. So it doesn't seem odd to you to dislike, to hate, to be picky, to envy, to pity yourself. It doesn't seem strange at all because all around you, people are doing it more than you do it. So not only does it not seem strange, you actually look at them and consider yourself virtuous. Isn't that how we operate? We compare ourselves with people who are doing worse than we are so that we can feel virtuous, like we're doing better. When the truth is, if you're wasting the energy, you don't have it, and it's going to something that's not advantageous to you. Work on consciousness is the most important work there is. Without the energy, you'll never see the rope that's hanging right there. If you can't see the rope, you're not going to reach up and grab it. Even if you have the energy, you're not going to reach up and grab it. You're not going to try and pull yourself out. Our lives betray our valuation. You just look at your life, just for a little bit. Just look at your life, objectively. And you'll see that work on consciousness is not the most important work there is for you. Work on fixing dinner is more important. Work on getting money is more important. Work on getting a sexual partner is more important. Work on getting entertainment is more important. The things that are more important push work on consciousness so far down that we may remember it a couple times a day. Is that not true? And this can be incredibly discouraging, except if you remember that you can work. If you can't work in this center, if you run out of energy in this center, there are other centers you can work in. And that everything in life, everything in life is an opportunity to work. Everything. Life becomes your teacher in this work so that nothing can come your way that is not an opportunity to work. In order to see that, you're going to need to observe yourself genuinely, sincerely, according to the way the work teaches you to observe yourself non-identified, so that you see that it doesn't want to do this work. It doesn't like this work. It may pretend to like this work, but it hates this work. And it will distract you from doing this work at every turn. When you start to see that, and when you see that it is not I, you'll begin to get that separation that's necessary to be able to let life be your teacher, to let life give you the opportunities to work, and then to work in the center where you're able to work until the other one recharges. That's my story, and I'm sticking with it. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.